Welcome to the Cuban Family Roots Podcast, a monthly podcast dedicated to discussing Cuban history and ancestral roots. I'm your host, Aileen Vega, podcasting from Woodbridge, New Jersey. As a genealogy enthusiast, I created the Cuban Family Roots Podcast to help others in their genealogical journey. I conduct interviews with Cuban researchers and geneticists, authors, and those with knowledge and expertise in Cuban history and genealogical research. I'm committed to conducting interviews that will point to genealogical information and resources to lead family historians in the right path to finding their family roots. From 1492, when Columbus claimed the island for Spaniards to present-day Cuban, our history has been rich and traumatic. Now our family history is slowly vanishing due to archival despair. Cubans inside and outside the island yearn to capture, learn our past, our origins, and our ancestral roots. Knowledge of our history is the key to keeping our Cuban family roots alive. I hope you enjoy listening to each episode as much as I enjoy producing them. The Cuban Family Roots Podcast can be heard on Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and many other platforms. You can support us by simply listening and engaging. Welcome to the Cuban Family Roots Podcast. This is episode 11 and we're in November 2021 and I am your host Aileen Vega. Today's show focuses on the Miatas family of Cuba, a family that extended throughout Central America, South America, and Puerto Rico. Today we'll explore the history of the Miatas family of Cuba, but also the story of Jack McGee, a descendant of the Miatas who was secretly adopted by his mother's cousin. There are many reasons for which people may give up a child. No matter the reason, it is always painful. Jack tells me that he felt love and security with his adopted parents, the Lanes, and describes his upbringing as the best anybody could possibly want. A conversation with his mother leads Lance, Jack's son, to the truth that his father was not the biological son of the Lanes. Lance decides to reveal this truth to his father. Jack grew unhappy of this revelation and frustrated. In 2013, Lance decided that it was time to find out the truth through the use of DNA testing. The rest of the story is history. Stay tuned and we'll be right back with the Millares of Cuba. The Millares Family Series The surname Millares was taken from the place of this name, located in the Council of Piñola. Don Francisco Millares, resident of the place of Remillo, parish of Santa Maria de Trabaño, Bisforic of Obedo, appears registered as a nobleman in the years 1654, 1670, and 1692. According to the registers and registrations of the Council of Paris, from his public archives of the Villa de Cuadroveña and house of its town halls, he married Doña Isabel de Solas and had as children Francisco and Sebastián Millares y Sola. Don Francisco Millares y Sola was the father of Don Sebastián Millares, a neighbor place who promoted information of nobility before Antonio Longo, ordinary judge in the noble state of the Council of Palace, obtaining certification as such issued in the place of Castillo by Don Juan Francisco Valdez, clerk of the Council of and whose information he made to send his cousin Fernando Millares y Laizaga to America. Loizaga also appears frequently. Don Sebastián Millares y Sola, a native of Romillo, Council of Padres Asturia, was born in 1671 and died in 1724. He was baptized in the place of Romillo, Santa Maria de Trabaño Parish, on June 24, 1671, and was a neighbor from the place of Castañera, where he appears registered as a togado in the years 1717 and 1730. In the baptismal certificate of his son Fernando, it says that his parents were natives of Villa Franca de Navarra. He held the position of captain of the troops of Dragon, family members and head of household of the Lady Queen Widow of Don Carlos II. He married Doña Maria de la Isaga y Armendaris, a native of Le Legaspia 
Goa in 1713 and was the daughter of Don Juan Francisco Laizaga Irisalba, a native of Dime Biscaya who was elector of Legaspia in 1692 and lieutenant mayor of the Sevilla in 1703 and regidor in 1708 and of Doña Maria de Armendariz. Don Juan Francisco Laizaga Irasalba died in Lesgapia on February 16, 1710. Doña Maria de la Saiga y Armendariz was born in Legaspia in 1694 and died there in 1720. Don Sebastián and Doña Maria had Fernando Millares and Laizaga as their children, who was first the first Millares to arrive in Cuba. He was born in Legaspia in 1718 and died in Santiago de Cuba on November 20th, 1755. He was the captain of the Royal Armies and Castilian commander. He married in the Cathedral of Set Square on May 31st, 1747. If you look in book four of marriage, number 53, he married with Ursula, which was also called in another archive, Jose Perez de Flores, royal ensign of the fixed troop 369 of Santiago de Cuba, and of Doña Teodora Bernal del Castillo, who was baptized on October 28, 1723, and died in 1780. The marriage was officiated by the priest Don Miguel de Regueiferos, and the gut the gut parent and the godparents of the marriage were the sergeant major of the Plaza de Santiago de Cuba, Don Fulgencio Solis, and his wife, Doña Margarita de Castilla. Witnesses were Don Francisco Álvarez and Don Francisco Mancebo. They are direct descendants of Lanslane. Don Fernando Vicente Antonio Millares y Pérez Bernal, a native of Santiago de Cuba, was born on January 27, 1749, and was baptized on February 4, 1749. He died in then colonel of the Infantry Regiment of Havana, and the secretary of the governor of Cuba, Mr. Miguel de Mausas, and later the secretary of Puerto Rico when Mr. Miguel was transferred to the interior and captaincy general of the island. He wrote the first history of Puerto Rico in 1775. Particular news of the island and plaza of San Juan Bautista de Puerto Rico. In 1777, he went to Caracas as secretary of the captain general of Venezuela, Field Marshal Don Luis Unzaga Amezaga. He received the Grand Cross of the Order of Isabel la Católica and entered as Colonel Knight of the Order of Carlos III on July 8, 1793. He obtained Certification of Arms Nobility on August 25, 1778, issued by Don Félix de Rajula and Martin Crespo chronicle and king of arms of his majesty. He arrived in Maracaibo in 1779 with the title of political and military governor from the city of Barinas, where he served as captain general and mayor. He was sworn in as such in Maracaibo in July 1779, remaining until 1785 when he went to Barinas, and in 1786 he assumed the governorship of that province until 1798, the year in which he returned to Maracaibo where he was governor of that province, replacing Don Miguel Ungaro and Damsme from 1798 to 1810. On May 22, 1807, he was promoted to brigadier of the army and field marshal. On April 1810, he was appointed governor of Venezuela, a position he held until July 23rd of that year when he was replaced by Don Vicente and Parang and Orbe. In 1811, he named his wife and his firstborn Jose Maria Millares executors of his estate. He married in the Cathedral of Santiago de Cuba on June 29, 1766 with Mrs. Inés Manuela Mancebo y Quiroga, a native of Santiago de Cuba. Thank you, Lance, for, for being with us. Um, you have an amazing story, um, as I understand it, was not legally adopted, but he was taken in by of his biological mother's family. And he was born, he never had a chance to meet uh, the biological father, who was Roberto Millares, or his mother. What prompted your mom to tell you um, at that time about your father? Well, um, actually, um, Dad was given 
to his on the maternal side and um, you know we, we ended up finding out that his his father's name was Rodolfo I found out uh, through a conversation with my with my mom about uh, that side of the family because I already knew her side of the family uh, as as I was um, raised with them uh, and not my dad's side so uh, we started talking and she goes and she goes your dad doesn't know this um, but on her deathbed mrs lane Mm -hmm. told my mom that he had been adopted within the family and i I guess she said that she believed it was from uh, mrs lane's niece so that immediately i i started uh, doing my investigation as much as i could at the time this was like in the 1990s before we started doing the dna testing and why (laughs) prompted you to tell your dad were you the only person able to tell him and were you scared to reveal this to him contacted him um, <coughs> because i felt like that he needed to know and uh, he wasn't too happy not being told about this and everything and understandably so um but you know it is what it is and it went from there uh, i at the time i was, I tried to do some uh, genealogical work there in uh, Tallahassee by going to the uh, the Mormon Family Center that they have there. Uh, but, you know, it, it wasn't something that was in records where I could actually see it happening. So uh, I was very unsuccessful. Through the your, your genealogy, your Cuban matches, your Honduran matches, and were you surprised? Well, uh, my dad... Uh, visited my wife and I here in Arizona and and he and I got to talking and and this is probably about um, seven eight years ago and I said well I'm about to find out the truth I mean because I had been sort of looking for years and years and years um, and of course I, I didn't have any records and I didn't even know if the story was true so I had him test um, I, I believe our first test was at 23 and me and <laughs> From there we went and I, I got my dad's, um, he got his first Cuban match there at 23andMe and it with, was with a uh, Danny Suspedes. Um, so I contacted Danny and he told me as much as he could. Of course, you know, it was sort of, we were both blind at the time to, because, you know, somebody from Alabama is contacting you about a Cuban match and you're wondering a very Cuban name, but he he helped me as much as he could by giving me uh, the family surnames that he was associated with. Then um, I I didn't know where to go after that, as a, as a lot of people don't. So I went to uh, the Cuban genealogy group on at Facebook at that time, and I I told my story. Uh, my wife had actually found a picture of who we thought might be my dad's dad just in the, in a family photo album that I've had for years, and I never thought much of it. And so I posted it also. And then I started getting a lot of help from, of course, people that were in the, the Cuban Genealogy Club there in Miami. Uh, they said that they would, uh, you know, bring this up in their meeting, and I gave them as much information as I could. And then I was contacted by Ashley Gonzalez, who was just beginning her uh, genealogical work. And so she decided to help me out. And and what happened after that? Where, where well, did Ashley take you? Well, we did a lot of work. And, and one of the things that we, we noticed about my dad's matches was that he had Cuban matches who weren't, it wasn't close at the time, mm-hmm. as close as, as Danny was. Um, and that was about a third cousin level with him from a Honduran, a Central American family uh, that we couldn't place at the time. But things really started happening um, probably about three to four years ago when my dad got his closest match at the time with uh, Grizel Lindo's uh, daughter, Jacqueline. And it, it was at a second cousin level. And then I contacted her immediately. Her mom decided to to test also. And then things really started rolling because once we got those results back, uh, Grizel contacted me personally. And she was like, well, we're going to get to the bottom of this. 
So she started seeking family help. And that's when one of the other cousins, uh, Clemente Amizaga, uh, got involved. He's sort of like the family historian. And he sent us, uh, me and Ashley, he sent us uh, printed family history documents that he had that told the story of uh, the Miari's family from Spain to present day. Uh, Once other family members started testing, things started getting more interesting. My cousin Madeline, who lives down in uh, Miami, and her father, Joaquin, tested uh, uh, Madeline's grandmother, who, who is actually over 100 years old. And she provided a, a center point in the DNA testing uh, to where we could separate, okay, this is the Cuban side. This might be a Honduran side also, because it was pointing toward Honduras. Uh, because of her age, um, she she was a it was a really good uh, test and it's very generous uh, of of uh, them to do that uh, because I know a lot of people who are in my situation don't get a lot of cooperation. And then a couple of years ago, I got a, a or my dad got a closer Honduran match with what turns out to be his great or his grandniece in the family gave me some information but uh, and I believe you spoke with him Danny um, Valentin um, I got uh, dad got his match on 23 and me and it really got really close because it turns out that's the son dad's niece half niece it would be and this is on the Honduran side so after looking at the the information that Clemente gave us in the family history we noticed that my great grandfather Ignacio lived. He had he had a, a a Cuban family, Cuban Puerto Rican family when he was working with the Spanish government. Uh, and his wife passed away. He then, at the advice of another family member, went to Honduras during the Ten Years' War, and he started up a business where he met my great grandmother, who was from Honduras. And they had my grandfather, Rodolfo. So he had a, a family that was in Cuba and half Puerto Rican. And then he had a, a, the, a new family in Honduras. Uh, yes, after his first wife uh, passed away. Uh, now, he did actually, the families know about each other? Yes, actually, he took his, his sons with him to Honduras. So his sons knew that he had met someone in Honduras, a Honduran woman, and he had children's with, children with her. Yes. And pretty much the re- the rest of it is history after, uh, you know, I, dad got the match with Danny. And I mean, and it took, you know, years and patience and, and, you know, and Ashley putting things together. And, you know, we've we've really uh, progressed in uh, building that family tree, connecting the two branches of the, the Cuban family and the Honduran family. So, and, you know, I, I was able to meet, I, I've met them, my, my cousins, my first cousins uh, who live in New Jersey, Tanya and Sharon. Uh, and this was, you know, it was, this was given to him years ago. Uh, my great, my great grandfather, Ignacio, uh, between Cuba and Honduras. You had no idea that you had any of Honduran or Cuban blood. Try to learn about the culture. Culturally, I had been exposed a little bit at Florida State. I was um, I majored in uh, international relations with a Caribbean uh, focus, and my dad was maybe Native American uh, because we sort of have a darker complexion than a lot of the family. I think my grandfather, who raised me in in Alabama might have known something, but I'm not sure what he knew. But he, he said that my father was uh, maybe Puerto Rican. But I'm, I, as I think back, I, I think maybe he knew something, but he didn't know everything as to what had gone on. Um, but, it, you know, I, I'm learning as much as I can all the time. Sure. Because they're not alive anymore. So it's not like you can confront them and say, hey, you know, what happened here? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's a lot of, um, you know, how we look at history, uh, because none of us were actually living at that time. We we try to look at documents, uh, we try to look at letters, etc, and try to put things together. And it's just like doing historical research. I can totally understand that, like, you know, not having the answers and having to put all those pieces together. It, it's it's not easy. You knew a lot about Cubans 
went because you you said that you you went and you studied in Florida. Mm-hmm. But culturally speaking, what you know, did you feel any bond, or, or were you like, oh, I I really can't relate to these people? Uh, no. Well, you know, my my wife and I we met at uh, Florida State, um, and her roommates. Um, were one of them was a Panamanian and she she had some friends that were from Central America and so we would go to these uh, cultural events you know on campus you know they would invite us and um, so I I was exposed and you know I did take Spanish in in college because I was doing international relations with a a focus in Caribbean studies and so you got to take the language also so it wasn't something that I had never uh, experienced been exposed to before to find commonalities with the cubans or more with the hondurans or i really thought about that much um of course i think about it a lot now having uh, spoke to some of my my cousins and, and interacted with them so there wasn't a that i have now so were you able to bring your honduran cousins because I imagine that your Honduran cousins are also cousins with some of your Cuban cousins, correct? I mean, they're oh, yes, they kind are. of connected. Um, and yes, and the link. Yeah, and well, and to us, my great-grandfather actually started, uh, from, from what I've read, uh, he exported bananas to New Orleans starting in about 1899. My grandfather, Rodolfo, actually worked for United Fruit Company. So I'm, I'm guessing that that's probably, and in, in most likely he met my, my grandmother probably in New Orleans or Mobile. And, and your grandmother got pregnant when she was like about 16 years old. You think that was probably one of the reasons why she couldn't, at that time, you know, maybe like what, 19, 1950s? Was it? Well, it, it was 1940s. Um, 40s. And we're talking, She's pro- she was actually probably about 18 to 20 at the time. So, but yeah, I, I'm pretty sure she wasn't ready to start a family. And Rodolfo at that time, what, did he go back to Honduras? Did he stay in the United States? I'm, I'm not too sure about that part. We're still trying to, to put some of that together be- because, you know, this was also new to my my dad's nieces um, on that side of the family so what what would you what would be your advice for um, families when things like this happen well first it's not easy to find out the the real answers and it takes a lot of patience uh, if especially if you're you're uh, using DNA to to track down your family it's a it's a roller coaster ride I, I went we went years without knowing anything and then all of a sudden things started happening uh, but try to find people that are cooperative in, in helping uh, give you answers and be very patient and don't give up that's you know uh, I never gave up and my dad always said he, his first reaction was you're never going to find out the real answer however uh, my persistence paid Stayed off, off. <laughs> and I did Lance uh, thank you so much for entrusting your story Thank you, Griselle, for joining us. We're doing a family series about the Miyatis family. How are you related to the Miyatis uh, family? What is your link? Of Ignacio Miyatis. Uh, he was my great-grandfather. And I can tell you that I have the family traced back to the 1500s. I'm a direct descendant also of the first Miyatis that arrived in Cuba. Was his oh, name great. Fernando Vicente Millares y Perez Bernal. Excuse me. He was born in Santiago de Cuba. That was, uh, that arrived in Cuba. Here we go. Don Fernando Millares y Loizaga fue el primer Millares en llegar a Cuba. Guipuzcoa, and I'll spell that for you. G-U-I-C-1718. He died uh, 20th of November of 1755 in Santiago de Cuba. So he came uh, from Spain. He went to Cuba, correct? Yeah. And then he died in Cuba. <clears throat> right. He was a captain of the Reales Ejércitos 
Castellano del Morro de Santiago de Cuba. So, so tell me, how long have you been in, in this world of genealogy and what? I grew up listening to legends, stories about the family. Mm -hmm. And as I grew up, I started to realize that the stories and the legends didn't always match. The people were not the same. So, I, And there was one aunt, bless her heart, who loved to entertain the children, search this. I was probably 15, 16 years old. I was a teenager. Very and bold. bold oh, oh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I was, and I still am. <laughs> Haven't changed. And that was some 50 years ago. Um, so in my first trip to Spain, before I went to Spain the first time, I wrote the Spanish consulate telling them that I wanted to know. Imagine this is a 16-year-old writing, I want to know more about my family and whom should I contact in Spain? And they gave me the name of the uh, El Rey de Armas Spain at that time. Wow. He wow. was a prince too. So when I went to Spain, he met me, met him, uh, <coughs> had a long conversation. And then the sad news was that he was asking me $1,500. At the time I was 19 years old, have just arrived based five, eight years earlier in this country. I was in college and didn't have any money. And so I didn't pursue the, the, uh, the, uh, the research. We rode back and forth for a while. Anyway, uh, so I got married, had kids, and it wasn't until 15, 20 years ago that I got into it by because I was helping a friend to find their relatives in Portugal because I speak Portuguese. And I said, well, let me see what's on the Millares scene here. So found uh, Dr. Oh, I think he named, his name was Enriquez Hernandez Millares, and he referred me to uh, Clemente Amezaga, who at the time was the person that had the most information, and we started to write back and forth. In the meantime, during doing some research, I found a cousin in um, Luis, what is it, in, what was the name of the town, Luis Pat, from Legaspia. Mm -hmm. fast country okay and we started talking and emailing back and forth got information from him he sent me his arms i sent him hours and i did for a reason then i started with clemente amisaga mm -hmm. email Hans lane um this guy i said i have no idea lance lane that's He's a relative. At first, we thought it was on the Carbonell side. Tell him to send me a picture. And my, my daughter said, you know, I'll send you the email. Say, you write. I don't have time for this. Okay. So we started. Heck, this, this Lance Lane, Lance Millares match on, I think it was 23andMe that he did it. Or, And I recognized him. Or rather, I assumed that he was family by Darlene lips all days when we didn't have and by the way when i started doing genealogy you know uh, the first time there was no email and there was no uh internet right so i started writing with lance he sent pictures i wrote back and i said the hairline then smile definite matches a few my elder cousins but i don't know do you know do you have a birth certificate do you have anything no, no, no. And then he invited me to join Ancestry. I said, I'm not interested. I know my family all the way back to, uh, let me see what year they first, by the 16th century. And from Romillo, and I, I really, I have my family traced back. And I was being very centered. The Millares were the only names and branches and crime. And, um, and uh, chromosomes that I had in me. But anyway, well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll pay for your, your saliva ancestry. And I just want that. Well, I did kind of under duress. I really didn't want to do it. Blah, 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 blah. I did it. Lord and behold, he comes up with a really high number of some chromo, whatever I can. I'm not a, a scientific person. 
but I still had no idea. He has no birth certificate. I there's a resemblance, but he was really dark. Are very blonde, blue eye, green eyes, light skin, black hair, but with green eyes. And that part didn't match. But anyway, so we kept at it and we kept at it. And uh, I, he found, and then Clemente Amisaga got involved. And then after two years, oh, and then he had a genealogist that insisted that our common ancestor was my grandfather. And I said, no. Then the the dates don't match in 1949, 48. My grandfather was already in his late seventies. Right. My grandmother was too old to have children. And let's say that he had an affair on the side with another woman. He was still too sick and too ill to have, to have father, uh, your father, uh, uh, his Lance's father, his name skips me. I can't remember. And this is in New Orleans. Yes, my family. But see, he still didn't have evidence that it was New Orleans where uh, his was it. His, yeah, his father was born. But I knew that my family traveled a great deal to New Orleans to buy things. But I and I, but I, I kind of. I think it, I knew that the family had gone to Honduras during this, uh, uh, the uh, Spanish-American War, the War of Independence. And I have I'd had evidence from another cousin that she wrote, uh, Maria Diaz Millares. She has a, a middle name, and it'll come to me. Uh, that the family went to Honduras and they would travel to New Orleans to buy supplies like fabrics and things that they couldn't find in Honduras. And apparently my great-grandfather, and she also mentioned that she had, that my great-grandfather had a relationship with a young Honduran woman and they had five children. She said relationship, there was not a marriage. So anyway, after two years, Lance found a match from Honduras. And that part you have to get from him because it's not clear. And it turns out, sure enough, there was an union, uh, apparently. Uh, and they had five children. And I had the names of the children and the information that he got with the children about the children match my information. So that's how the whole thing evolved. Don't know. So that's how I got involved into genealogy. And then again, features, photographs, that's very important. Like you said, if you have them, I'm lucky enough to, I'm very lucky to have them. Right. How, how was your, your research helpful or instrumental to Lance's research in finding his, the link with the Millares? Well... As I said, at first, I really, really didn't want to be bothered. But this, I'm a very curious person. And I said, New Orleans is it's a, it's a, it's a definite thing for sure. Because, and so I started going through the family photographs and other people's um, Facebook pages, and the first thing was one of my cousins granddaughter at birth is the spinning image of Lance's daughter. Wow. Then we did jet, ma jet match and the numbers are unbelievable. I, if there's, there's, there was no doubt, but who was it? I said, it's gotta be someone uh, that is either an, an uncle, a cousin, so my grandfather is not, obviously was not this generation. I found uh, a cousin in Miami that had just passed away and his smile, smile and Lance's smile was identical, but it wasn't him. And we kept on searching and exchanging uh, information. I was animated that it was New Orleans, the place of birth. That, but his birth certificate was was not uh, legal or was false. 
Right. So it, it was when uh, he found that match from Honduras. And then I said, well, that makes sense because here is the uh, memoirs from Maria Leticia. That's her name. Uh, Diaz Mijares. That she talks about the family that um, Ignacio Mijares, who is our common ancestor, right. had in in Honduras, he went to Honduras. He was he was in Spain trying to enroll in the Academia, Her Royal Highness uh, Academia, the, the the military to be like his like his father, a, a, a military person. And the war broke out, and his mother told him that he'll have to come back because she can't continue to support him in Spain because of the war. Uh, she had a plantation, but everything was burnt down. And he told, she told him to go to Puerto Rico. And there he got a job in a ayuntamiento, I guess, that's a court. And he did wonderful things, and he married a woman from Puerto Rico, and they had 13 children. Wow. Now, now is according to my other cousin, uh, Joaquin Bello Millares, he told me that many times he was out in the jungle or somewhere else because he used to travel a lot. The jungle situation was in, in Honduras, I'm sorry. He was somewhere else because he, he was traveling. By the time he got home, the child had already been born and passed away. Mm. So among those 13 children, a few of them passed away. His first, and if, it, they, didn't, if they, weren't, uh, they, they didn't die at birth, they would uh, die later on of tuberculosis, all kinds of diseases that today is just an antibiotic and I'll see you later. Right. His wife, and I can't remember, I would have to go to Ancestry to get the her name. I think it was Maria del Carmen Collazo, no, Colón Collazo mm -hmm. from, from Calle, Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. passed away in child during childbirth with her 13th child both of them passed so this guy ignacio had family in puerto rico he had family in honduras yes and then in cuba what yes we, and my grandfather fernando maria agripino agripino millares colon was born in puerto rico your grandfather was born in Puerto Rico. Okay. Out of the, thir the 13 children, he only had five left, and he went to Honduras. Uh, somebody invited him. I think his, his half-brother invited him. Yes, that's whom it was. But I can't remember his name because I think he was uh, a child from my... from... Ignacio's mother, second marriage. She was married three times. Supposedly, she was a very beautiful woman, very rich, very wealthy. And uh, she had, which in each marriage, uh, she had a child. So anyway, he went to Honduras. He did very well there. He had two general stores where he used to, and that's, how why he used to go to New Orleans uh, as very often it was to buy fabrics to buy things like I said before that weren't found in uh, Honduras so he had a store at the entrance entrance of Las Cebas and at the exit of Las Cebas that I believe was a very important town in at that time he had five children with this lady. He lived in Honduras about 10 years. Um, then he went back to Cuba. 
and left her with the children and apparently in charge of the business. He left apparently everything to her. He gave my grandfather, who was his second born, the first born, the first born passed away. He gave him money to buy properties in Cuba and he met my grandmother and that they bought uh, una manzana. Una manzana is like a like a, a block, a square block, like uh, of land. And that's where um, one of the brothers, he got married. This is in Manzanillo and put a business there. And my grandfather went to Bayamo. Or maybe Olguin, Olguin, and from Olguin to Bayamo, and that uh, he married my grandmother, and they had nine children. The two boys die. He so he was always he was left with just the girls. So he went from Puerto Rico. He had family in Puerto Rico. Then he went to Honduras. Right. Had family in Honduras, and then from Honduras he went to Cuba. Right. But your grandfather was born in Puerto Rico, right? Right. And then he went. Your grandfather went to Cuba, and that's how the rest of your family came about. Yes. He met somebody, a Cuban woman. Right. But remember that my great grandfather Ignacio Millares was born in Cuba. Okay. So your great grandfather was born in Cuba. Right. He's he's that same person that went to Puerto Rico. He went to Puerto Rico. And had your grandfather. And had exactly. Oh boy, you are with, with a, a Puerto Rican woman. Right, of Spanish descent as well. Of Spanish descent. And then he went back to Cuba with well, with your grandfather at um, some point. At some point. So he went with his five children that were born in Puerto Rico to Honduras. And there another child passed away. And his children and his wife from tuberculosis. And then he went to Cuba, went back to Cuba. Now, during the relationship with this young Honduran woman, he had a son called Roberto. Mm -hmm. And that is Roberto is Lance's grandfather. Okay. He had an affair with a woman in New Orleans, and that makes sense because they were also in the banana business, mm-hmm. and they would travel to New Orleans, and that's where Lance's dad was born. Gotcha. It's complicated. Yeah, it is. It's like a very, like a spider web. You got it. And and also because we arrived in Cuba in the 1700, you know, that makes it even uh, more interesting. But the interesting thing is that somehow all the pieces of the puzzle, everyone that is part of the story was able to sort of like meet each other. Like you were able to meet Lance and yep. Lance was able to meet his relatives from Honduras. Yes. Are they your relatives too, or just his relatives? I, I, well, the dynamic is very interesting. The Cubans, Millares, we have a very, very strong tie to Spain because uh, the first Millares to arrive, I believe, because they were military folks and the defending the the crown mm-hmm. we we feel to this day i feel uh his majesty felipe of spain i to me he is my king even though i am very american and very cuban mm-hmm. i have that loyalty to the crown because all the land and all the wealth the family had were gifts from the crown Gotcha. 
some of the feel a sense of loyalty a sense of loyalty a tremendous connection especially and that i have found the the house where the first mijares lived Mm -hmm. and we have images and my my goal is it's it's privately owned now and i'm one of my goals is to contact the uh present owners because i want to get in that 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 uh, that uh, palace or whatever that uh, that tower because it was at the time it was nothing more than a tower, and mm-hmm. then uh, in the last century it was added on. So uh, yeah, it's tremendous connection. You know, you pretty much explained this whole spider web, and the next person that I'm going to be talking to is. The Hondurans family, so they'll they'll be able to explain their the, side. Also, mm-hmm. the, the Honduran side, because I know nothing. And um, one of my questions was, and it, it's partially answered, uh, how did they take care of themselves when my grandfather left? Just recently, I learned that he left the business to her, and I imagine some money when he went to Cuba. He was much mm-hmm. much older and. He, apparently he knew he was sick because he died of pancreatic cancer. Mm-hmm. And he was in his 60s when he died. Back then, 60s was a ripe old age. Today, we we live to 90s, uh, 100s. So, um, and supposedly there was an inheritance and there are all kinds of legends on that side that I don't know anything about. We'll see. We'll see what what uh, what we discover. What comes up? Yeah. Griselle, thank you so much for sharing your side of the story of the Miyadis family. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So my first question is: um, How are you related to to Lance, and how did you um, how did you find him? So me and Lance, um, I believe we might be second or third cousins. Um, so initially what had happened was uh, that after my father had passed away, I had decided uh, to take a 23andMe test just to sort of get more insight into my ancestry, um, my connection just to my father, um, as well as just in general, just trying to um, just be more in in, in sort of connection with with my past uh, so I did pick up a 23 and me um, and then through there I, I connected with Lance who had sort of uh, let me know that he he had been looking for family members um, through the Miata side and fortunately that was me as well as my mom and my aunt Tanya so that's the way that in which we were able to connect so so you went to 23 and me and then so tell me so walk me through through what happened like you got a call one day and say hey i'm lance i'm your cousin it was more so he sent me um a message through 23 and me since you're allowed to opt in or out into being able to connect with other people who share some of your uh same dna uh so through 23 and me i believe he had sent me uh, a message on there and it was sort of obviously i wasn't expecting to to come encounter um sort of a distant relative that i didn't know about so it took me a while to actually read the message um and then we took things to email where he had sent me photos um of of his grandfather uh with my mother's father uh when they were younger and then through there is where i was able to show it to my mom and she at first again was skeptical but uh through time with the information that lance had and and how much he knew and how much he had been investigating, um, she 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 came to sort of believe the story and and sort of came to understand. And through there is where we were able to sort of um, accept the whole situation. Um, and, and today where we're really sort of we're becoming closer with Lance and we all have sort of a group chat. And it's been a really great sort of um, experience to get to know Lance. And as far as just his story, because because of how, how sort of interesting and crazy it is. Um, and I'm just sort of on my part, just glad that I was able to help him in his 
his sort of investigating. Oh, that's great. Well, Danny, you know, thank you so much for for giving us your perspective. Your mom's name is Tanya, right? No, my mom is Sharon. 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 Tanya is my aunt. Let's see. Let me see if I understand the, the link here. Great grandfather, grandfather. Yes, through my great grandfather. Great grandfather. So your great grandfather and and Lance's great grandfather is the same person. Um, so share a, the same great grandfather, or or or, or they're like um, there's a brother there. There's a brother there, I believe. So my great grandfather is brothers with Lance's grandfather. It, it gets a little it gets a little messy, but um, that that's my understanding. Okay. But you guys never knew that you had cousins, um, you know, that were in the U.S. Or even, um, I know there's another lady by the name of Griselle. Uh, you never knew that there was this link with all yeah. these countries, Puerto Rico, Cuba, correct? Yeah, because my understanding of just sort of um, my own sort of ancestry or, or, or sort of along the lines of that was that my mom came from Honduras uh, to the U.S. And then from that standpoint, I sort of knew almost little to nothing. Um, and then on my father's side, he was, he's Puerto Rican. So outside of that, I had no idea about my connections to, to Cuba or anything like that at all. Okay. Well, it, it is a very interesting story, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it, it really is, especially um, Lance and how he was sort of able to open up this whole box of just with all the work that he does with genealogy and that uh, sort of pretty often he, he tells me interesting facts about you were related to this person who did this in history, who was connected to this event in history. Yeah, so so the bulk of it is is basically what I said. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of it, something else. And that was pretty much, I, I think, the, the bulk of it and the majority of the story from my understanding. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. So I have a couple of questions for you. Um, you worked on the um, Miatis case with Lance Lane, but yes, before we get right, before we get deeply into that, tell me about yourself and how you got into genealogy. Well, I've always been interested in family history. Um, that interest started when my grandparents took me to Georgia one year and we went through a bunch of cemeteries. I was a young teen and I found their stories of past ancestors fascinating. After my grandmother died when I was just 18, I kind of took over that research. And so that type of genealogy was a lot different than what we do today. I wrote a lot of letters, uh, connections through other family members, and eventually joined genealogy forums and later um, over the years you know life gets in the way when you're when you're doing genealogy and you pick it up and you set it down. I met and married right. a Cuban American. And uh, one day, my father-in-law decided on a whim to take an ancestry DNA test. And I had no idea what would happen when that one little test. By then, our daughter was in high school, and I found I had some extra time on my hands that I didn't have when she was younger. And I started picking up genealogy research again, kind of full steam. I took my own ancestry DNA test uh, shortly after with the intentions of finding my father's biological family. So that's how I got into genealogy and more specifically genetic genealogy. Mm -hmm. I'm currently working towards becoming a certified genealogist through the board certification of genealogists. I mm -hmm. attend institutes to further my education, and I'm currently working with the Firebird Forensics Group, which is headed up by Barbara Ray Venter. And we work on solving cold criminal cases with investigative genetic genealogy. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. One is, how did you meet Lance Lane? And can you walk us through the process of how you assisted him in finding his Cuban and Central American connection? I mean, the story goes that his father was adopted, but didn't know it, right? Yeah, so he, he was adopted, and it um, would be kind of considered a black market or gray market adoption. There's no original birth certificate. Family members uh, from his maternal side who adopted him, they just signed the birth certificate. So there was no real way to work backwards to finding the biological father, Jack, Lance's father. 
So I met Lance over the Cuban genealogy Facebook group around 2016, and we hit it off as fast friends, and we both had kind of a mutual beginner's interest in Cuban genealogy. He knew he belonged to a Cuban family based on his father's DNA test, and mm -hmm. I'm married to one. So, you know, we, <laughs> we didn't really have the history of Cuba behind us. We were kind of working forward into it. Mm -hmm. I was new to the techniques and honestly using DNA for genealogy was still kind of in its infancy. Uh, Lance was great because he really knew his DNA matches and he had kind of sorted them out based on where they were from and mm -hmm. some, some with mutual like family names. So what we started doing is a technique that was called mirror trees. And mm -hmm. those aren't really used today, but back then we would take a DNA match. We would build their tree out based on what they may have had on ancestry or what we could figure out. And then we would attach the DNA to that tree. Mm -hmm. And then we would see if we could get any shared ancestor hints. And this worked for a little while, but we would keep hitting dead ends because as you know, a lot of DNA matches, they don't have their trees online. Difficult to, to um, get any kind of records where you could figure out their tree. Um, we just kept working and eventually we merged these mirror trees together and had all of the DNA matches in one tree. What we would do is we would move Jack around in the tree to where we thought he belonged. Mm -hmm. And so we, we made what now kind of called a quick and dirty tree or what I like to call like a DNA grand tree where you're just building the DNA matches together mm -hmm. while you're trying to figure out where you belong in that tree. Using that method, we were able to visually see how all of these DNA matches were related and how Jack potentially related to them. Building out the, the Cuban part of the tree was very difficult with the lack of records that are available online or even getting them um, through researchers on the island. So all of our trees were built based on other people's trees. And once we had identified the Mieres family as the common ancestor, like the common denominator through a lot of these DNA matches, um, we were able to start talking to the family members. And one was Clemente Amazega, and he had written a wonderful family history. Right. And we were able to apply that family history to our tree and fill in those gaps. But then we had to contend with this connection to Honduras and Central America. And so we had to figure out which Mieres in this family, with Ignacio being the prime suspect at this point. And we used those same tree techniques for the Honduran group. Um, but in Honduras, you have a lot of Catholic baptismal books available through mm -hmm. family search. And that was immensely helpful in building out the tree with those records. So we spent many hours going over those books because at that time they were not indexed. So we were reading through baptismal books um, to build out these family trees. So eventually we found the DNA connections to the Mieres family and the whole picture developed. With the help of family members, encouraging other family members to DNA test and continuing to build in those DNA matches as they appeared, um, we narrowed our, our hypothesis to the youngest child of Ignacio Mieres of Cuba and Ramona Querias of Honduras. And his name was Rodolfo Mieres Querias. And he, um, through some of his descendants testing, we've identified him possibly as Jack's father. So that's how we built out the whole, whole tree and built everything in together. Just between <clears throat> you and Lance, you guys were able to, to find out who, the, who his biological father was. He, uh, Rodolfo, is, is passed take why did you take on this case you know honestly it boils down to I love helping people and and so Lance and I became fast friends interested in the same thing Cuban genealogy and finding the records and I love a good mystery and a good puzzle and uh the one thing about the Mieres case that is interesting 
is it starts in Cuba, it goes to Spain, it comes back to Puerto Rico, it goes back to Cuba, it goes to Honduras, there's a little bit of Mexico, <laughs> some southern United States involved. It was a lot of history work. It was understanding what was going on at that time in Cuba, um, what was going on in the lives of these people. And so in the end of it, you learn a lot from each case. And I what did you learn from working on the Miades case? Oh, no, I have, I, I learned a lot from working on the Miades case. And, you know, one of those things is persistence pays off. You have to be persistent because this did not happen overnight. It took a lot of hours of building out these family trees. Lance had been working on this for years and it took us several years from start to finish to identify Jack's biological father. Oh, and another thing I learned during this case was also helping another Cuban adoptee named Iris. And she is a great communicator and not afraid to send a message, make a phone call or take a chance. And she left mm -hmm. no stone unturned in her search. And where the records are lacking for Cuba, communicating with your matches will go a long way in filling those gaps. So I did learn a lot from working on the Mieres case, Mieres case besides um, the history and those things, like it really, truly, um, Cuban genealogy, it needs communication. It's built on communication. What tips can you offer to those adoptees looking for their Cuban connection? For adoptees specifically, um, who have a connection to Cuba, whether it's through one parent or both parents or a single grandparent, is, you know, my first suggestion is always to understand fully how genealogy and DNA work together to build the story. Mm -hmm. If you don't understand that, you're not going to get very far. So, you know, there are books, YouTube videos, webinars, uh, websites, help you learn how to use the tools available to working with your DNA matches and gaining that foundation will save you a lot of time and energy down the road. So, Right, right. You're going to get an I don't know. And that will be the end of the conversation. And you don't want that. You need a conversation. So, you know, look at your DNA match. Look at those matches. Start making some assumptions about how they're all related and with common areas or names. And then write that in a message that includes that information and how you think you might be related. And it could be a message that simply says something like, hi, cousin. I'm adopted and searching for my biological parents. Based on our shared DNA, we are probably second cousins. I think we might be related through these great grandparents. Do you know more about them and their children? Mm -hmm. And a message like that, it's clear. It gives information, it asks for information, and it starts a conversation. And that goes back to also, you know, understanding how the DNA and the genealogy works. Because if you don't, you don't understand what all those numbers mean mm -hmm. and, and what potential relationships they could be. So give that clear information. They may not answer, but you've done your research and you move forward and on to other family members um, from that same family and ask the same questions and maybe get an answer. In your experience um, as a genealogist, what makes Cuban genealogy different and what challenges have you encountered working with Cuban genealogy cases? This is a fun question. Um, I think most people know the biggest challenge with Cuban genealogy and what makes a difference is access to records in general. So getting to any records in Cuba is a challenge, but in my opinion, Cubans are creative innovators. So to be a Cuban genealogy or a Cuban researcher, you also have to be creative and innovative being on your family tree. And so thinking outside of the box can help you find records. For example, um, it gave his name, the name of their farm, where the farm was located, the other parties involved, and more. And um, I found this on the Internet Archives website, archives.org. I mean, it was the, mo the most unexpected place to find it, but there it was. And the last name happened to be misspelled. Mm -hmm. And so you have to keep those kinds of searches in mind. So, you know, when, when you can't, when you can't access the records or you're not getting um, results out of Cuba, always try to think about 
other other sources that you could be using. Whether it's going to um, FIU, uh, the University of Florida's website, the DLOC records, um, but don't forget about Google Books, Hottie Trust, mm -hmm. and Academia Papers because you never know what you're going to find in those places that might lead you around the problem instead of through the problem that records would solve. And speaking about adoptees, adoptees need to be aware of pedigree collapse and endogamy because that's part of island life. Mm -hmm. um, these things exist and they can, ex they can skew the amount of DNA shared between matches. And trees can become kind of a tangled mess of relationships because they are a tangled mess of relationships when mm -hmm. you're talking about pedigree collapse. So having a clear understanding of pedigree collapse and of endogamy will help you around some of those pitfalls. My father-in-law is from Holguin and building out his DNA tree has been unique because it tends, he tends to be related to his DNA matches in multiple ways due to pedigree collapse. And right. once you can identify that it exists in your tree and where it exists, you can understand which DNA matches are going to be more helpful in your research and learn mm -hmm. techniques to work with the ones who have the inflated amount of shared DNA. So those, those two things I think are, are definitely the um, challenges in working with Cuban genealogy. Thank you so much for everything. Thank you for listening to the Cuban Family Roots podcast, The Millares of Cuba. And I'd like to make some acknowledgements. The information obtained to put the story together was according to the original text of Histories of Cuban Families, Historias de Familia Cubana, with data provided over time by Mr. Pedrito, Mr. Julio Angel Mestre, Mr. Amaro Taquechel, Dr. Enrique Hernandez Millares, and Chavez Milanes, Mrs. Maria Leticia Diaz Millares de Rodriguez, Jose Angel Takechel, Roberto Balbis, Álvaro Coscuyuela, Miguel Ferrer Puig, Grisel uh, Carbonell Millares, Fernando Correa Sureda, and with the help of Carlos Alberto Amezaga y Planas, uh, and Andrea Arboleda, wife of Clemente Manuel Amezaga y Planas. This was done on April 13, 2002. And this has concluded another episode of the Cuban Family Roots Podcast. We can be heard on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many others. Thank you for listening. If you have any suggestion, please write to the Cuban Family Roots Podcast at gmail.com.